0: Welcome to Breaking Green, a podcast by Global Justice Ecology Project. On Breaking Green, we will talk with activists and experts to examine the intertwined issues of social, ecological, and economic injustice. We will also explore some of the more outrageous proposals to address climate and environmental crises that are falsely being sold as green. I am your host, Steve Taylor. Founded in 2003, Global Justice Ecology Project believes in the fundamental equality of all peoples and the intrinsic value of the natural world. Global Justice Ecology Project's mission is to identify, expose, and address the intertwined root causes of social injustice, ecological destruction, and economic domination. In this episode of Breaking Green, we will talk with Ann Peterman, co-founder of the Global Justice Ecology Project, about the organization's unique mission. We will also discuss current threats to forest and indigenous people with attempts to genetically engineer trees for use in plantations and release into the wild. Ann Peterman co-founded Global Justice Ecology Project in 2003, and she is the international coordinator of the Campaign to Stop GE Trees, which she also co-founded. Peterman is a founding board member of the Will Miller Social Justice Lecture Series. She has been involved in movements for forest protection and indigenous rights since 1991 and the international and national climate justice movements since 2004. She participated in the founding of the Durban Group for Climate Justice in 2004 in Durban, South Africa, and Climate Justice Now in 2007 at the Bali-Indonesia UN Climate Conference. She is the author of several reports and numerous articles detailing the dangers of genetically engineered trees and is a contributor to Truthout, Z Magazine, Counterpunch, and numerous others. She was adopted as an honorary member of the St. Francis Sakoki Band of the Abenaki in 1992 for her work in support of their struggle for state recognition. In 2000, she received the Wild Nature Award for Activist of the Year. Ann Peterman, welcome to Breaking Green.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: So, Ann, you you co-founded Global Justice Ecology Project in 2003. What are Gijep's founding principles, and what inspired its formation?
1: We wanted to have an organization that was more broadly focused and broadly um, clear about the real underlying causes of, uh, you know, what was what was being, what was happening on Indigenous people's lands, what was happening in the forests of the U.S. and uh, all around the world, and at the same time that. Um, we were founding Global Justice Ecology Project. There was a huge anti-globalization movement going on around the world um, with mass mobilizations against the World Bank, against the World Trade Organization, uh, and these other entities that were really economic drivers of these socially and ecologically destructive policies. So we wanted to express that in our new organization. And so we ended up with the name Global Justice Ecology Project, trying to reflect our analysis of the interconnections between ecological issues and social justice issues. Through our programs, our Global Justice Media program and our campaign to stop genetically engineered trees, um, we really try to find those those root causes and show people what they are so that we can really start identifying how we can transform the system to one that is ecologically and socially just.
0: Global Justice Ecology Project is coming up on its 20th anniversary. So what do you think uh, has been uh, one of GJE's distinguishing features?
1: Well, I think the distinguishing feature has been our refusal to fall into the trap of false solutions, um, either false solutions to forest crises or false solutions to climate crises and the fact that we have a no compromise approach. So with our campaign to uh, stop genetically engineered trees, for example, It is a campaign for a full rejection of all GE trees, uh, the release of no GE trees into the environment. That is the goal of the campaign. It's not limited release or labeled GE trees. It's no GE trees, nowhere, no how. None, um, because we understand that the, uh, the problems and dangers and unknown consequences of releasing genetically engineered trees into the environment are just too extreme to even consider. So I think that is one of the things that distinguishes GGEP a lot is the fact that we, once we identify what our goal is for a campaign or the mission of our organization. We don't compromise until we achieve that goal.
0: Over the years, Global Justice Ecology Project has been involved with many organizations and campaigns. What stands out in your mind as one of the most memorable or successful campaigns?
1: Well, I think the most memorable or successful campaign, there have been many actually, um, which is I think an, another part of the work of Global Justice Ecology Project that stands out from other organizations. But for example, we had success when we were working with the Mosquito and Mayagna people in Nicaragua who were trying to stop the illegal logging on their, their territories. We supported their work. We hung we actually hung a banner with some other folks um, in, at the Nicaraguan embassy in Washington, D.C. And Oren... The co-founder of Global Justice Ecology Project, who's also a photographer, took a, photo- a photograph of that banner hang. We sent it down to the major daily paper in Nicaragua. They ran it on the front page. And the next day, the Nicaraguan government canceled that illegal logging concession. So, you know, that's, I think, a, an example of one of our successes and another thing that makes us unique of bringing in images photography stories history to make our campaigns more successful um so that's one example and then of course there's the campaign to stop genetically engineered trees we've been working on that issue since actually before global justice ecology project was founded since basically 1999 to 2000 and um the only country in the world that has released genetically engineered trees on a large scale, which is about 450 hectares, was China, and that was way back in 2001. They just kind of they just kind of went and did it without really telling anyone. Uh, but since that, you know, there have been proposals in the United States. Um, there have been actually approvals in Brazil, but no. GE Trees have actually been released on a commercial scale um, at this point. So we, we feel like that's a pretty significant victory. And, um, you know, we're, we're working very hard to make sure that victory is permanent.
0: So we want to talk a little bit more about GE Trees later on in the program. But uh, I also wanted to talk about uh, the publication Hoodwinked in the Hothouse, uh, Resist False Solutions to Climate Change. It is currently in its third edition and available at ClimateFalseSolutions.org. Global Justice Ecology Project has had a role in that publication. Could you tell us a bit about why GJEP thought that this was a worthy project?
1: It it succinctly explains um, every false solution to climate change that we currently are facing, uh, you know, with examples of what that means in a very um, approachable way so that the public can understand what these false solutions are, why they're dangerous, and what real alternatives look like. So we are very happy to be a part of that um, that that effort.
0: Could you uh, just sort of summarize what is or what is meant by a false solution to climate change?
1: Sure. Well, false solutions are solutions that sound like they could be really useful, um, but are in fact just the opposite. They're not solutions at all. So I'll give a specific example that we've done a lot of work on, which is forest carbon offsets. Um, And the idea behind forest carbon offsets is that forests are a natural sink for carbon, um, carbon dioxide is absorbed by trees and held in their in you know in the trees themselves. it's also held in the soils, it's held in the understory plants. all of the biodiversity in a forest is very important for storing carbon. but of course it's also more than that. It's not just a carbon sink <laughs> it's a it's a whole biodiverse ecosystem. So with carbon offset forestry, the idea is, if we protect those forests, those very carbon-rich forests, they that carbon stored by those forests can be used by polluting industries, like, for example, the Chevron refinery in California, um, in order to allow that company to continue polluting by saying that they're offsetting their carbon emissions. Uh, this is a hugely problematic issue on, on many different levels. Um, I'll try to give a, just a quick summary of those. For one, it allows the company to continue polluting the neighborhoods nearby. So the people who live around the Chevron refinery continue to experience all of the health issues that go along with you know, inhaling and experiencing that that toxic pollution that's put out by this oil refinery. On the other side of the equation, the um people who many times indigenous people who lived in that very biodiverse intact forest um, under some of the false solution programs are forced to leave those forests in order to protect quote unquote the carbon in those forests you can't have people living in it you know they might burn a piece of wood for for uh for their cooking fire so those people have to be removed in order to Quote unquote, protect that carbon. So they're displaced and that causes a huge number of social impacts to those communities. Um, you know, so we have injustice on both sides of the equation. Then for the forest itself, you're not actually doing that forest any favor by supposedly protecting it because it's actually enabling the ongoing pollution from that oil refinery, which is going to be exacerbating climate change, which is going to ultimately harm that forest uh, and all of the forests around the world. So that's an idea of a false solution. Sounds great. Let's stop deforestation. Let's protect forests as a way to deal with climate change. But in the case of carbon offset forestry plantations, what it's actually doing is giving license to, companies like Chevron to continue polluting at the expense of local communities, both around the refinery and in the so-called protected forest.
0: You participated in the Conference on Biodiversity in Montreal. Global Justice Ecology Project held a press conference at the event. Tell us about that press conference and why Global Justice Ecology Project coordinated it.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, one of the um, key areas that we work in as Global Justice Ecology Project is exposing false solutions. So false solutions to the climate crisis, false solutions to the biodiversity crisis. And that was why we pulled together this this uh, this press conference was to talk about what these major false solutions are that are being pushed forward by the UN Biodiversity Convention. And uh, those include Things that sound, again, they sound great. Nature-based solutions, nature positive, um, you know, 30 by 30, which is the proposal to put 30% of the Earth's surface into so-called protected areas by 2030. Yeah, these sound like great ideas until you, you know, dial down into the details and then you find out what they're really talking about is how to enable business as usual, allow corporations to continue business as usual under this greenwash umbrella that makes it sound like they're doing something beneficial for biodiversity or beneficial for the climate. Um, It's really not about, however, protecting biodiversity. It's about land grabs. It's about taking indigenous and local community lands to offset uh, negative impacts from extractive activities elsewhere through these offsets. It's about dangerous new unproven technologies under the, um, the name geoengineering, uh, which is basically biotechnology for biodiversity, quote unquote these crazy new schemes like gene drives, which are designed to wipe out entire species that we don't want or that cause some kind of problems. It's about, you know, putting sulfur particles into the stratosphere to block out the sun, you know, these incredibly dangerous, um, unproven technologies. So our press conference was specifically pulling together experts to talk about each of these false solutions and why they're so dangerous. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's our mission. That's who we are. So that's what we did. It was, it was a very positive press conference.
0: Yes, it was. And it also receives the, some pretty good coverage. So, Anne, you are also the coordinator of the international campaign to stop GE trees. So that's genetically engineered trees.
1: The work to stop genetically engineered trees was founded around 1999, 2000 when we first learned about the problem of genetically engineered trees and coming from a forest protection background, an indigenous rights background, and even an anti-GMO background. We'd done some work looking at the potential threats from genetic, genetic engineering. When we came across this field trial of genetically engineered trees, we were very clear. Uh, immediately of the potential threats. And so we started looking into them and talking to other activists around the world about it and found out that there was really just a small handful of people outside of industry that had heard of GE Trees, much less working on the problem of GE Trees. So, you know, we understood then that we needed to launch a campaign, a global campaign to try to um, understand the problem and address it um so we did that and we've joined together with fantastic organizations from all over the world everything from world rainforest movement they've been one of our closest partners uh global forest coalition friends of the earth international friends of the earth us um greenpeace indigenous environmental network uh, you know just i can't even list all the organizations that have been involved we have a a great steering committee that includes the canadian biotechnology action network biofuel watch um, an organization in Chile known as Olca, uh, we, an organization from New Zealand, which is GE Free New Zealand. You know, all of these organizations, um, representing some of the main regions where GE trees are either a threat or actively being developed. And so we've had a very successful campaign in understanding where the threats are, putting a halt to many of these threats through a, wide variety of strategies, educating the public, building public opposition, um, getting this that decision I mentioned earlier from the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, warning countries against GE trees. It's just, it's been a really robust campaign um, with participation from people, activists, and organizations from all over the world.
0: So you mentioned uh, Indigenous Environmental Network. How do uh, genetically engineered trees fit into concerns Uh, regarding the rights of indigenous people?
1: The issue of GE trees um, is a direct threat to indigenous people's sovereignty and indigenous people's land, um, livelihoods, health in many different ways. So the main way that we've worked on for the longest time has been because of the threat of GE trees in industrial tree plantations. So these huge um, corporate tree plantations that are developed with the express um with the express purpose of growing pulp trees you know mainly trees for pulp and paper uh, or trees for timber and these the expansion of these plantations has largely happened in the Americas on land that is already forested and many times these forested lands are occupied by indigenous peoples and in local communities, um, so those people are forcibly evicted from their lands to uh, to create these industrial tree plantations. So the threat that GE trees pose, because because we don't have GE tree plantations yet, is that the problems that are already experienced by these um, indigenous peoples and in local communities by these industrial tree plantations will be worsened if GE trees are added to them or if they are transformed into GE tree plantations. So the direct impacts include loss of water. These plantations grow so quickly that the water is rapidly depleted, especially if they're eucalyptus plantations. The plantations, whether they're pine or eucalyptus, those are the two main plantation trees globally, um, they're, they're both extremely flammable. And so, you know, historically, bad wildfires have... Started in industrial tree plantations, uh, they, you know, they. Uh, in the case of eucalyptus trees, they can escape the plantations and start invading the local native forest ecosystem or the native grasslands. In the case of South Africa, they're just, uh, you know, the problems caused by these industrial tree plantations goes on and on. They're sprayed with toxic, toxic chemicals, um, so that's one area of impacts on indigenous peoples. Then there's a new, uh, a new uh, proposal to release a genetically engineered American chestnut tree in the United States. And this tree is designed to spread wildly into forest ecosystems, which is a direct threat to Indigenous people's sovereignty, as there's, you know, clearly no way to stop these trees once they start spreading. They're not going to respect boundaries. They're not going to respect state boundaries, tribal boundaries. You know, they're just going to spread.
0: If these trees are spread into the wild, there's the potential uh, for them uh, to cross into Canadian uh, territory and uh, First Nations territory as well.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And. It, um, these trees spread not only their uh, their pollen, but their nuts are spread by blue jays, by squirrels. You know, all kind of wildlife that that want the you know want to store these nuts for future um, for future dinner. <laughs> uh, you know, they they help spread these for long distances, and so the issue of transboundary contamination, as it's called in the UN, in other words. Escaping from one country to another country is a very real problem when you're talking about genetically engineered trees and this genetically engineered American chestnut tree in particular, which is specifically designed to spread freely through the forest. So yeah, uh, you know, New York state is kind of ground zero for the release of these, G- these GE trees. If they get permission from the USDA and, you know, Western New York, where one of Global Justice Ecology Project's offices is, is, you know, literally a mile from Canada, right over the Niagara River. Um, and the northern part of Lake Erie was where American chestnuts were traditionally found. It's a slightly different variety of American chestnut, but easily cross-contaminated by the genetically engineered American chestnuts they want to release in the United States. So yeah, You know, the the chestnuts, the American chestnuts in Canada are very much at risk from contamination here. And the First Nations territories um, in Canada where these trees could grow or do grow are also threatened as well.
0: This would be, if approved, this would be the first time a genetically engineered plant has been released uh, to spread into the wild and uh, contaminate the native species.
1: Yeah. the first time in the history of the world that a genetically engineered plant was deliberately released so there have been escapes um, for example creeping bent grass uh, escaped from a field trial out west uh, in the United States so this would be the first time it was deliberately released with the intention of spreading into uh, uh, spreading and contaminating into a native uh, a native ecosystem
0: could you tell us where this stands right now this this proposal to re- release this genetically engineered organism into the wild?
1: This, the uh, proposal to release the genetically engineered chestnut into the wild is um, going through a deregulation process through the United States Department of Agriculture. And there's also um, some decision needed from the Environmental Uh, Protection Agency and the Food and Drug Administration administration, since the chestnuts from these trees are in fact edible. So it's going through this deregulation process right now through the USDA. uh, And the USDA has released a draft environmental impact statement recommending approval of this proposal. So that's where it stands right now is the USDA has released this draft document saying that we think this could be a just a peachy idea, and they have asked for public comments on it, which is uh, you know the legal requirement. So the interesting thing is that they they released this draft document, which is about sixty pages, along with a second draft document called the plant the draft plant pest risk assessment. Um, To the public saying, okay, we want you to take a look at a detailed look at these two very long, very technical documents and give us some substantive comments, useful comments. And oh, by the way, the comment period starts on November 10th shortly before the U.S. uh Thanksgiving holiday and ends on December 27th, two days after the Christmas holiday. So it's in the middle of this time when, you know, h- huge numbers of people are taking holiday, are visiting family, are not going to be around their computer. Um, so, you know, it's almost as though they don't want public participation. And that's probably because there has been such overwhelming public opposition to genetically engineered trees historically, um, that I think the USDA is trying to cut off the ability of people to participate because they don't really want to hear what people had to say.
0: Well, if 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 the listener is interested in making comment, uh, where and how could they do that?
1: The best way to do it um, is through our our website. We have a Stop GE Trees campaign website, which is very simply stopgetrees.org, And on there, there's an action alert, which is stopgetrees.org slash stop-ge-trees.
0: We'll put that in the show notes. On what grounds is the campaign opposing this tree?
1: Sure. There's a lot of different layers to why we need to be concerned about the intentional release of a tree, a genetically engineered tree, into a wild ecosystem. Um, the main issue is that, you know, for me, there's, there's a, I'll talk about the different layers, but for me, the main issue is that we have no idea what the impact of this tree will be in the ecosystem because it's never been done before. This tree has never existed before this genetically engineered tree. Um, it's never interacted with an eco a native forest ecosystem before to, to date. It's only grown in, uh, test, you know, field trials, test plots, Um, and then it's only been actually out in these field trials for five years. You know, we're talking about trees that can live 200 or more years and they've only been growing in the, in the outdoors outside of the lab for five years. And yet the researchers say, you know, we know what these trees will do in a native forest ecosystem. We know that there won't be any trouble. We know they won't kill pollinators. We know that they'll be good for salamanders. And so let's just go ahead and do it. And uh they absolutely do not know, uh, you know, it's bad science for them to say that they know um what's going to happen with these trees in the wild because it's it is absolutely unprecedented. It's never happened before. Um, the genetic transformation in the tree is not just a simple, you know, they didn't just simply insert one gene and say, oh, you know, now we have a blight resistant tree. The um, genetic modification process itself, you know, causes a lot of mutations around the insertion point where the new gene is brought in. It's actually not just one gene, it's a whole suite of genes that are used to make sure that the gene, um, the the target gene, is put into the place where it's wanted, that it will stay put there. Uh, anyway, there's the ch- genetic transformation process is very messy. Let's just say it that way. It's a very messy process. And predicting how that genetic transformation will impact the organism that's been transformed, in this case, an American chestnut tree, is not possible to know until several generations of that um organism have been bred. Uh, in in the case of an American chestnut tree, that means, you know, many, many decades of experiments and uh field trials. And in the case of the American chestnut, the ecosystems in which it's planned to be spread in which it's planned to be planted are extremely diverse. We're talking about the eastern forests of the US. Um you know everything from the northern forests of northern New England down to the southern forests in Georgia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, the Smoky Mountains. I mean these these are incredibly diverse ecosystems. So the idea that they know how this genetically engineered this novel genetically engineered tree will behave over time, under the environmental stresses of climate change, for example, in this wide diversity of ecosystems, is is crazy. There's it's it's just crazy. It, <laughs> there's no other word for it. They don't know what they're doing and they're rushing this thing out there um, and it could cause some really severe problems in a forest that's already under extreme uh threat and under extreme pressure. So that's why I, I think it's a very bad idea. Personally, then there's all kinds of other reasons the proposal to genetically engineer the American chestnut did not come from forest protection groups or conservation groups or even people concerned about the American chestnut. The idea to genetically engineer the American chestnut came out of industry, came out of uh, Weyerhaeuser and timber companies, came out of industries that were looking to create more public support for genetically engineered trees. They were looking at a lot of public opposition and they were trying to figure out how can we sell the public on this idea of genetically engineered trees. They realized that the main emphasis of all of the science going towards genetically engineering trees, which was for these industrial tree plantations for more timber and more profit and so on, that wasn't doing it. People were not excited about that. People were rising up in opposition to that. So they said, how about if we find uh, a charismatic wild tree that has had some kind of calamity and we use genetic engineering to br- bring that tree back? And so they found the American chestnut. They said, this is perfect. So let's use the American chestnut. Let's genetically engineer it to put be put back into the forests. People will love it and then they will embrace the bigger concept of genetically engineered trees. So Monsanto has been involved. These timber companies have been involved. Um, This GE tree company called Arborgen has had a very major role in this. Duke Energy has been involved in funding this. The US Forest Service. I mean, all of these entities have been directly involved in developing this, this American chestnut tree, it wasn't for conservation. It was for public relations. So we call it a Trojan horse for that reason. Um, it, because of the fact that it's, it's not about conservation. It's about industrial development of genetically engineered trees.
0: You mentioned the calamity, Ann, which was the blight, the chestnut blight, which started in 1904. And it, and it severely reduced the population of the chestnut tree. But Dr. Donald Davis was on this show previously, and he uh, pushed back on the idea that the tree is actually functionally extinct. He noted that there's 400 million still in the population. And he also uh, pointed to non-genetic engineering techniques to increase the population of chestnut trees in the wild naturally.
1: Yes, exactly. So the American chestnut tree was one of the dominant trees in the Eastern forests prior to 1900. And then, as you mentioned, a blight from Japan was introduced, which had a heavy toll on that population. It wasn't just the blight, though. There was also um, very... Uh heavy logging of the chestnut it was a favored tree for um for telephone poles for houses for you know just it was it was the favored tree for timber purposes um in that time period, and so there was enormous um logging campaigns going on that reduced the population quite significantly, especially in the southern part of its range. Uh, so yeah, so a combination of logging and the blight knocked back its numbers. But as you point out, there are still 400 million American chestnuts growing in the forest. Some percentage of those are old enough to be, um, Producing nuts and pollen, and so you know this idea that's put forward by the American Chestnut Foundation and these GE chestnut researchers that the American chestnut is functionally extinct and therefore we must have a genetically engineered version of the tree in order to save it is 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 absolutely wrong. Um, and there are in fact direct examples of the tree being restored through natural means, through non-GE means, by breeding wild American chestnuts that have some level of blight resistance with each other. And the American Chestnut Cooperators Foundation is an organization that's been doing this formally since the 80s, but the people in the organization have actually been doing it since the 60s. So they've been doing this for a long time and having some amazing success. There was just a paper put out by a researcher named Bernd Heinrich, a naturalist named Bernd Heinrich in uh, Western Maine who planted four trees on his land in the 80s and recently documented over 1,300 seedlings and trees that are growing on his land now as a result of that original um, set of four trees that he planted. And they have no sign of the blight. So, you know, this, 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 Um, public relations argument that the tree, the American chestnut tree will uh, succumb to extinction if we don't intervene with genetic engineering is, is just plain wrong. You know, there's direct evidence to the contrary and it's, um, it's being used to promote the GE chestnut to the detriment of the wild American chestnut population.
0: So Anne, is there anything I haven't asked you about uh, Global Justice Ecology Project, uh, uh, False Solutions, GE Trees, that you would like to address?
1: We could certainly use people's help if people want to get plugged in, if they want to help us out, if they want to be involved. Just go to StopGETrees.org, and there's lots of tools there for people to um, take action and help us with this, with this uh, very important issue.
0: Thank you, Ann Peterman, for joining us on Breaking Green.
1: Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it.
0: You have been listening to Breaking Green, a Global Justice Ecology Project podcast. To learn more about Global Justice Ecology Project, visit globaljusticeecology.org. Breaking Green is made possible by tax-deductible donations by people like you. Please help us lift up the voices of those working to protect forests, defend human rights, and expose false solutions. Simply text GIVE G-I-V-E to 1 That's 1